Welcome to Our Kind of Pod. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and joining me as always is Michael Stanton. Stanton and I dissected the beautiful splendor of the 28-15 Apple Cup win in the snow last Friday. And if the Huskies are poised to get it done again this Friday night in the Pac-12 Championship. Make sure to leave a five-star review on iTunes. The show is also now on Spotify, so subscribe there before you head to Discover Weekly this week. Uh, your intro music this week is accompanied by the dogs doing the Say Who, Say What chant prior to the Apple Cup win. Uh, try not to run through a brick wall uh, as you listen to this podcast and hear that. Enjoy! Welcome to our kind of pod version number, I don't know, I'll throw it to you, 12, 15? How many have we done this year? Somewhere in that region. <laughs> With a couple of lost ones in there that uh, yeah. that we might want to keep lost for our unfortunate predictions, I think. No, no, no. They'll, they'll surface once we uh, get like Emmys or something awarded to us, whatever Pod. the relevant yeah yeah potties webbies uh, or whatever they're called exactly yeah there's there's an unfortunate one out there i know where i talk about uh how i expected uw to be playing uh arizona in this pac-12 championship game uh, on friday yeah remember that we talked about how arizona was a sneaky team could Khalil yeah, Tate really do Tate. some things uh and now Khalil nope. Tate is all set to do some things for a different college <laughs> so Funny how that happens. Yeah, a lot can change in freaking four months or whatever we're at here. Uh, anyways, we are fresh off of a 28 to 15, uh, I'll, I'll say spanking. I'll use Braxton Clemens' words, uh, spanking yeah. of the Washington State Cougars in the Apple Cup. It was nice. It was it was just a really nice game. Can I ask you a question? You sure can. Have you ever seen something more beautiful, not just in the game of football, but just in your lifetime? as that eight minute and 47 oh. second drive to end the game it, it was it was scrumptious for a lot of reasons first of all uh the fact that it came as the direct consequence of mike leach not or choosing to punt uh on his own 46 down 13 uh in the fourth quarter and then his <laughs> decision to punt uh was done so hesitantly that uh after that the the kooks had a delay of game on their punt uh, to push them back even farther. And then uh, there was another play on that drive where I think they ran it on like third and seven, just a normal off off tackle play to Savon Ackman. They picked it up one of two plays during the game where they picked up a, a third and seven or more on just a normal run play. Uh, Love that. It was, it was really, really nice to just kind of put that down. And you felt the confidence from, from the first uh, Wazoo possession of that game that uh, you'd have fully expected to win and knew how they were going to do it. Well, and speaking about that drive specifically, 14 plays, all 14 were running plays. Mm -hmm. And we got down to their five, and we don't even care. You're not worth it. We're going to kneel it out. Whereas someone like Leach probably would have punched it in just knowing his mentality. Um, So, yeah, that was was incredible. I didn't really realize it was happening just because – Beer. I don't know. I did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, 
I, I remember looking back at it like within minutes after game being like, wait a second. What did I just witness? Yeah. Eight minutes and 47 seconds is a long time for college football, for football any, in general. And this this too, I mean, keep in mind the circumstances. I'm with you on not really remembering things because uh, for me, it was late on Friday, extra late in oh, that yeah. game, which, you know, Friday comes with uh, some eggnog, some leftovers, real heavy, oh, yeah. heavy in the brain if you catch my drift uh, sure. for, for that whole game. And so it felt like, wow, it's like, when was the last time Wazoo had the ball? Oh, yeah, they punted eight minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, it was a really good way to end that game. Great glimpse of, like, what tailback, true tailback Savon Ahmed is going to look like uh, next year sure. as well. Uh, yeah, it was it was real nice. Ac- accentuated by the snow, which will be our first down here, talking about the concept of snow. Uh, snow is what comes out of the sky when the weather or the temperature is, you know, 32 degrees or, or ah. lower. Uh, found that out over the weekend. Uh, but no, the, the game took place in snow, and I would argue all Apple Cups should take place in snow. Where do you where do you stand on that? Um, I am okay with it if it helps the Huskies. <laughs> I say, like, if, if Pullman doesn't have any, Seattle doesn't have any, wherever it's planned, just go to, like, northern Alberta. Play it up there. Uh, I In fact, I would advocate for a snow football league that takes place entirely in snow. That would be cool. Yeah. Maybe we could get like the Mount Baker ski area parking lot or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, it should take place in a parking lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would argue, too, that when, when snow is on the field, there should be no rules, right? There's no more penalties because mm-hmm. you can't see them anyways. XFL. Yeah, yeah. It should just be a lawless environment and teams should be ready to go. Uh, at the drop of a hat, snow snow falls. Uh, one team that was not ready to go when at the drop of the hat when snow fell uh, was the Washington State Cougars, and that has been I don't know. It's not like you and I are, are you know dunking our heads in Wazoo Twitter or anything like that, but at least no. from from my vantage point, has seemed to be uh, the collective uh, uh, complaint about that game was that if it wasn't snowing, uh, Wazoo would have come out on top, or that would have been a more competitive game. I think that latter point is arguable, but what do you say about the first point that uh, you play that in, in uh, I don't know, you play that in El Paso, Texas, that Wazoo gets it done? I have a couple issues with that. Um, yeah, I mean, throwing the ball in the snow is harder. Like, I'll give it, I'll give them that. But I mean, that's not our fault at all. I mean, I mean, this is the team you have. So, I mean, deal with it pretty much. Secondly, actually, so there's going to be three, three points here, actually. Secondly, we were up 14 nothing, and then it started snowing, and we're actually outscored 15-14 to 14 the rest of the way. So if you're looking strictly from the scoreboard standpoint, they actually performed better than we did when it was when snow was a factor. And then thirdly, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this. You've got to remember the 92 Snow Bowl, but they show that those highlights in every possible opportunity they can, mm-hmm. especially in the Apple Cup. And so it's like, okay, you guys are going to show these highlights from 1992, the snowball. Don't you think it's a bit hypocritical critical that you lose in the snow in the in the the next edition of snow, and you're you're now using as it as an excuse? So I don't this know. Is, I just that's a, I'm just not buying it at all. That's a really interesting point. Given that those MFers were wearing the commemorative helmets from that game, the same helmets oh, that that, uh, that Drew Bledsoe and his his fighting Cougs wore in '92 when they got that done. Uh, and also, it's like Drew Bledsoe probably threw for like 500 yards in that game, and then pro- and then 
had like a bottle of wine at halftime because that's how Bledsoe rolls. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I, I, you know, the, the excuse is more in the game plan, I think, for Wazoo uh, in that you everyone could see the forecast, right? Like I knew that there was inclement sure. weather. How do they not know that? And how are they not prepared for that? Uh, I think that they switched some things up. The, a couple of their touchdown runs were on longer plays uh, where they just actually ran a nice play. They got UW's defense spread out. Um, it's like, you have that, do it again. I mean, was UW was like taunting you with this two defensive ends on each side of the, of the line of scrimmage, nobody in the middle run up the gap and you still couldn't get it done. Uh, it was, it was, it's just this weird thing. And I think that everyone's right about, uh, the matchup just being a horrible one for Wazoo, no matter where the game takes place. Uh, ben Burkirvan afterwards said that that UW knew that they would have to game gang tackle because uh, Wazoo wasn't going to throw it downfield and they were going to throw it underneath as they did. Um, mm-hmm. So as much as everyone could see the forecast of the inclement snow, basically everyone from UW uh, was talking about uh, the inclements forecast of Mike Leach's game plan and being totally prepared for that uh, regardless of the elements. I it's it's weird because this is probably a uh, a product of the fact that we beat them like 72 out of 111 times or some absurd amount. Um, but I feel like every year we beat them, there's always excuses. And this year is obviously the snow. And it's just, I, I don't feel like I've ever, when we've lost the game, I, I just feel like I'm not like trying to hang my hat on excuses. I don't, yeah. I, it's just, it's, it's getting old. And I feel like the, the amount of excuses that, Cougar fans are bringing up in the aftermath of this year's game is more so than than I can remember in past years. Um, they're even complaining about their ranking at 13th in the college football playoff rankings and how they that they should be higher and be considered for a New Year's Six bowl. It's just like it's just never ending. I I, I just don't really. I, I'm not going to spend any more time on those guys because yeah, they honestly don't really deserve our time. But like it's it's like look at yourself in the mirror for a change maybe. The last excuse I can remember in an Apple Cup is uh, thinking about why Keith Price threw a hand grenade in the air for an interception in, in uh, the, <laughs> the second overtime of, I think it was yeah. the, the 2012 Apple Cup. Uh, that's about as far back as I can go with with uh, with excuses there. Uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but it, I don't know. It, it is what it is, and uh, I think you know. Guess it, expected. This the snow affects both teams. You know, it's hard to throw in the snow. You have to throw uh, you know a tighter spiral in order for the ball to travel downfield. That sure. makes sense. Uh, Wazoo does all these things, twists and stunts with their defensive line, where they're you know rolling over each other and and. Uh, you know, getting pressure that way and creating creating a little havoc on on the line of scrimmage. They couldn't do that. I get that, but all of those things were were applicable to both teams. And uh, I, I I don't know how you can call this thing anything but a wash in terms of how the snow affected each team. Uh, but we digress. We can talk about the man who ran all through the snow, uh, dashing through the snow. If if you want to go oh. all the way there, uh, Miles Gaskin. Uh, with with uh, one of his better games, uh, just kind of a, a you know a, a very Gaskin esque game, a very dependable you know three four five yards a pop, a couple touchdowns, and then uh, he uh, he rips one open there with uh, with the eighty yard touchdown led by a beautiful Jacob Kaiser lead block uh, to spring him open uh, third third and one with thirteen minutes left in that fourth quarter there. Miles Gaskin goes for eighty yards, thought he's going to get caught, didn't. Uh, it was it was a uh, 
we talked in, before that Oregon State game about the moments, like what's your defining moment of each player? And we really couldn't come sure. up one with one for Gaskin because he's just had so many. I think he had his mm-hmm. on Friday night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's had a, a couple of those those type of runs in the in the Apple Cup, but this one seems to obviously it's fresh in our memory. But this one seems to hold a little bit more, um, just given the circumstances. I mean, this is the best running back that UW has ever seen. I think um, the stats support that, and I think just what he's been able to do over the course of his career. I don't think there's really any conversation. Now, that's obviously my opinion, so you can disagree with that all you want, but <laughs> you have two more opportunities to uh, to watch probably the best running back in UW football history. So yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, there's there's some names that could that could be thrown out there uh, as as arguments, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, among those, Napoleon Kaufman, uh, Greg yep. Lewis, Hugh McElhaney, mm-hmm. who we all remember so well. Uh, Chris, oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris Polk, it definitely owns the the Apple Cup best performance of all time. We all remember that from 2010. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bishop Sankey was, uh, had some of the most productive seasons uh, all up there mm. with Corey Dillon. And then there's, you know, of course, Lewis Rankin, Jory Fogerson up there in the names of great UW running backs as well. Uh, <laughs> Jory is, of course, the, the author of our intro song here. Uh, we love yep. Jory, but... I think in those, I mean, it really comes down to, I was looking at Greg Lewis's stats. Greg Lewis won the Doak Walker in 1990, best running back in the country. And I was expecting to look back and be like, oh yeah, Greg Lewis put up like 600 yards. It's crazy. What a season. Greg Lewis had like like 1280 on like a pretty normal season. Uh, and Miles Gaskin has eclipsed that uh, three different times. Might Every, even, yeah, yeah. Might even be yeah. a fourth time. Maybe this year. <laughs> this year. So Greg Lewis's best year uh, would not be Miles Gaskin's worst year. Uh, so Greg's out. Hugh McElhaney, you know, cr- tremendous, tre- tremendous name for the program. But honestly, like I think Ben Burkhoven could have run for 2000 yards back then. Uh, if we're just talking like that's that. the 50s, right? Yeah, exactly. Or earlier, maybe. I yeah, don't know. it was literally like Leatherheads was what was going on. Uh, yeah, I, I think Gaskin has been more productive over his career than Polk, Sankey. Uh, Corey Dillon was only here for the one season. Uh, George Fogerson, obviously, you can make that argument, but don't have time to do that. Uh, so it really comes down to Gaskin versus uh, Napoleon Kaufman. I think that that's, that's about as close as you can get. Kaufman was a part of a national championship team, although that was his freshman year. Uh, was drafted 19th overall by the Raiders. I think maybe a more uh, explosive talent if you're just talking uh, dude to dude. But I still would give it to Gaskin just given the body of work and the fact that he's going to go to four straight bowl games, uh, three Hopefully, uh, New Year's Bowl games, uh, which is just an incredible achievement and uh, kind of uh, just a part of he he is this era of Husky football. Him and him and Jake Browning are synonymous with uh, with this kind of awakening uh, of taking us out of the the pretty good Sark years into the national power uh, Chris Peterson years. So I, I I tend to lean you know recency, and I never saw Napoleon Kaufman play, but I deferred mm-hmm. to my dad. Said, hey, pops, Napoleon versus versus Gaskin. Uh, he even went with MG. So maybe you should do that. Te- text your yeah. dad and see what he says. Oh, oh, I have. And the the older heads in our uh, in our UW football group have also agreed on the Miles really? Gaskin front. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Kaufman, I'm just gonna run through the numbers here really quickly. Um, he only got 67 carries as a freshman, so only 300 yards. So I'm gonna throw that out. Um, as a sophomore, though, he got. He got the bulk of the work, uh, 1,045 yards, 
then a junior, uh, 1,299, uh, and then as a senior, 1,390. So that, that one eclipses, uh, Gaskin's total from last season by 10 yards, but Gaskin has scored 55 touchdowns on the ground, whereas, uh, Napoleon Kaufman only scored 33. So there's a quite a difference in touchdown, um, touchdowns there. Funny enough, average yards per carry, 5.7 for both of them. Ooh, interesting. Uh, and yeah, Gaskin doing 5.7 on uh, a much higher workload um, is interesting. But I think I think Kaufman was more of uh, just different types of runners, whereas Gaskin is is the every down back in, in, in a sense, whereas uh, Kaufman was... Uh, a little bit more explosive, um, but I still mm-hmm. think that that uh, the overall body of work tends to lean with Gaskin, especially if he can close out uh, and get four straight thirteen hundred yard seasons. That would just be be insane. Uh, let's move on to third down here and talk about uh, the UW's defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake. Uh, Jimmy Lake uh, has made a habit out of <laughs> grabbing the microphone. Uh, immediately after whooping on Wazoo and Apple Cups. Uh, this year was no different. He has this quote right after the game uh, when asked about whether he was surprised that uh, that Wazoo didn't make any adjustments uh, or Mike Leach didn't make any adjustments to their game plan from the other five Apple Cups he's been a part of. He says, it does surprise me, but knowing what I read about the head football coach there, he does things a little bit different. Uh, so hopefully he remains there for a long time. That would be awesome. <laughs> Lake basically... <laughs> First of all, for him to not mention Mike Leach's name and just to pretend that he only reads that that Mike Leach is a weird guy uh, is just an incredible <laughs> flex and obviously not true. And uh, it's it's the ultimate power move to pretend like you don't even know that the other guy exists. Yeah, that's a guy who's done a, a few media interviews in his day. Uh, he tight roped that very nicely, um, but also took the subtle jab, which as a UW fan, you have to appreciate. Um there was some talk amongst our, our friend group whether or not that was maybe the right decision for him to make a comment like that. But to be honest, after knocking off your your uh, arch nemesis for six straight seasons and capping off the best decade in Apple Cup history, nine and one, uh, by all means, go for it, yeah. I say. Yeah, that too. And then also this is Jimmy Lake's first year as, as in this specific role where he is a co-defensive coordinator. Um, so it's almost kind of a new thing for him that he's he's even uh, you know involved in the actual play calling and can still uh, can still get that done. Um, so I'm I'm sure he feels great about it. I'm sure it's a great feather in his cap to see Wazoo you know just destroy Arizona the week before and look like a very very formidable offense. Um, and then to to just be brought down to earth, you know, elements included. Elements are a part of that. I get that. We just discussed that. Uh, but I think that uh, Jimmy Lake. Feels himself at the end of those at the end of those because it's such a challenge um, or a theoretical challenge to stop Wazoo and he's been able to do it over and over. One one other thing on that front. Uh, speaking of Lake's comments, Ryan Leaf even had some comments on the Pac-12 Network after the game, and he just totally ripped on Mike Leach and the fact that his offense is basically, at least in the Apple Cups, is the definition of, of insanity because he's doing the exact same thing every year. And it's just interesting to see one of their own going after their own coach um, on that front as well. Yeah, interesting because his quote mirrors uh, UW cornerback Jordan Miller, who said that, that them doing the same thing over and over is also the definition of insanity. Uh, <laughs> Jalen Johnson, senior defensive end, 
uh, had similar comments or it kind of took it a step further uh, and said that a Chris Peterson coach team is never going to lose to a Mike Leach team um, just because of the way things are going. Uh, I think that Jimmy Lake's comments have infiltrated the locker room of the UW's defense, that they are so willing to talk about it uh, like that. Um, but it's 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 just, it is kind of funny. I mean, Jimmy Lake really does do this much better than anyone else does. Mm-hmm. I will argue, though, that, that the UW defense is uniquely equipped to defend this team. I thought the game plan, you know, Lake said that they had kind of some wrinkles uh, to, mm-hmm. to throw at Wazoo. They ran this like modified dime defense where you have four corners and two lineback two linebackers with the two safeties. So you're playing mm-hmm. Elijah Molden, uh, Keith Taylor, or Miles Bryant in addition to uh, to Jordan Miller and to Byron Murphy. So being able to do that is is rare. Not a lot of college football teams can throw four cornerbacks out there and feel comfortable mm-hmm. about it without getting picked on with any of them. Um, and then sure. to still get pressure with three guys at the defensive line. That's nuts, and that's that's something that that UW does have an advantage over most college football teams in the country of being able to do something like that. Yeah, and you probably could have rolled out one or two more corners, go deeper in that depth chart, and sure. still would have maybe been okay. I mean, there's not really any drop off from Miles Bryant to Elijah Molden from a from a nickel corner standpoint. So mm-hmm. uh, being able to, to to deploy both of those guys at the same time is awesome, especially against the the offense you were going against. Yep. And with, with miles, Brian, a little banged up, throw Keith Taylor in there and not, not lose anything either. Uh, And and just to throw either of those guys and say, okay, you're probably more of an outside guy, but you're going to play the slot uh, against this team. And then for them to do it well uh, is, uh, is pretty impressive. And and one of the things that, that we have to, to be proud of as Husky fans is that, that this defensive backfield um, is kind of the sustainable energy uh, unit for years to come. Uh, which is really exciting. Uh, speaking, and we'll of, need it because we're losing probably three of them. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do a post mortem at, at this season of how how grim <laughs> th- things are going to look on on defense yeah, next yeah. year, or how many question we'll marks there are. I should say, uh, I'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Jimmy Lake, uh, his name is thrown in the hat for a couple of the open uh, coaching candidacy jobs. Uh, that are out there, as tends to be what happens uh, at this point in the season, especially in the recent years. Uh, Jimmy Lake's name has been connected to the Colorado job. Um, Jimmy Lake is currently a very well-paid defensive coordinator doing his job well. Uh, There is no buyout for him to become someone else's uh, head coach. Uh, If they want him as a coordinator, they'd have to fork up a little bit of of money. I don't see him leaving to be a coordinator. Uh, But with the Colorado opening there, uh, the Louisville job is open. The Georgia Tech job is also open. Uh, Maryland's job is open. Central Michigan is open. Uh, Super enticing to go coach in Kalamazoo. Uh, And then uh, the Texas Tech job is open as well. Do you see Lake leaving uh, even given that point of of so much talent is losing leaving this this UW secondary this year, uh, do you think it makes sense for now? Is if you're going to jump now, it might be the time, or do you think that he's truly going to wait this out for the best possible opportunity? It's really hard to say because there's so many instances where someone says one thing and then two days later it's like see ya. Yeah. But at the same time, there is something I and I think I think. Uh, Anybody can agree on this, not just UW fans. Uh, there's something unique about a Chris Peterson-led uh, program, and he's been such uh, an, a, an invested part of that. Like not just at UW, but in 
before you dub two in in uh, Peterson's system that he just has so much more invested. I feel like than than a usual um, coordinator would, and it's it's just every it feels like everything's done right here, you know, and it's just. I don't see how we we're going to regress a whole lot at any point in the next five years or so. So it's a really good place to be for him. Now it's hard to tell whether or not he wants to jump to be a head coach now. I mean, obviously I would think that that's something he wants to do in his career, whether or not it's the right time for him is the question. I mean, he's alluded to the fact or he's mentioned the fact that um, he just purchased a new home in the area um, that he loves Seattle, et cetera, et cetera, um, that he'll be here for a while. So from that standpoint, I mean, I would say no, I don't expect him to leave. But in this day and age, you really never know. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a, a fruitless exercise for us to get inside of his head and, and only uh, look at his press clippings and say that, you know, he just bought a house in Medina and he's here to stay and don't worry about me. All that stuff has, mm-hmm. has ringed pretty hollow for uh, for many a coach in the past. Uh, but sure. I do think that there's there's plenty of merit to what you're saying. In that, this is a sweet gig, right? If you want to stay at a at a winning program in a in a major market um, and continue to be, you know, the the most uh, you know sought after assistant coach in the country for as long as you want, uh, I think that that is certainly something that he could set himself up with um, in a in a really good spot. So there's no reason to take anything other than your dream job. Um, which is kind of what Chris Peterson was was dealing with himself as a head coach at Boise, uh, is that there's mm-hmm. so many suitors and so much opportunity to go take that next gig that's going to pay you more in a bigger city, uh, but but don't se- don't settle for you know the uh, a B plus when you or even a B minus when you could go get A plus uh, down the road. He's only 41. Uh, his time will come, and it's completely up to him. So uh, it- yeah. Oh, I was just going to mention, I think a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, we as fans strictly think of, well, okay, it's 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 what his situation is now at UW versus what it would be at another uh, program. But we're not thinking about all the things outside of football. You know, he has a life, too. He has a family, too. Uh, Seattle's a pretty awesome place to live if you can get over the traffic. I mean, it's booming right now. It's things things like that that will keep you in, at a place like here over um and you know i think i think boulder's also a really great town never been there but i've heard so much about it so many good things about it so this might not be the best example but i just think uh, there's a lot of instances where we strictly think about okay going from a to b versus a actually has a lot of things outside of that that we need to consider as well or they consider as well for sure yeah so so time will only tell with with the jimmy lake situation uh, but uh, hope hope he uh, he does what's best for him and his family, no matter what. Um, but uh, wherever he goes, he will s- most certainly be successful because he is a absolute stud, and we are lucky to have him. Uh, to fourth down we go, and this is a, a negative note about the UW team, and it, it ranked true uh, in the Apple Cup. Is how bad the UW special teams have been this season, and it's kind of one of those things that's not. Um, you know, bashing it over our head like it was last year. Um, although you had Dante Pettis returning punts for touchdowns, uh, you had just an abysmal kicking situation. Uh, this year's team has just been all around like a C minus everywhere in the special teams. Uh, this next section will be brought to you by our front fine friends at Football Outsiders, who are going to supply all of the stats uh, for me to nice. run, run down here about how bad UW has been across the board in special teams. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. 
a lot of acronyms here. Uh, the overall one is called SFEI, which is special teams efficiency. And what it is is kind okay. of just your general, uh, how good your your special teams units are doing, adjusted for mm-hmm. strength of opponent and uh, the special teams units that you're going up against. UW is 58th in the country, which doesn't sound that bad, uh, but um, I think is is not where you want to be if you're an elite program. Wait, that's for special teams specifically? Just just all of special teams, encompassing all of the stats that, that we'll go over here in a sec. The next one uh, is... Interesting, uh, not to cut you off, but that's interesting because ESPN's team efficiencies by offense, defense, and special teams puts Washington... Oh, wait. Never mind. I digress. We are right around there as well. So carry on. <laughs> yeah. So bad all around. Uh, to field goal efficiency. So this is basically your average value uh, per field goal attempt in relation to the national success rate. So and, and proximity to end zone. So uh, on 50 yard field goals, uh, you know, there's there's a expected value. How does your team rank uh, in, in terms of that? Um, how other teams are kicking? Are you kicking better or worse than them? Our field goal efficiency is 89th in the country out of 130 teams. And our hmm. opposing field goal efficiency, not something that you have a ton of control over, uh, is 81st. So not great. To kick returns yeah. and to kickoffs, uh, we are 31st in kick efficiency. So that's your average value. Basically, how you know how far can you pin back your opponent on kickoffs closer to the end zone? 31st, not great, but you know relative to the rest of it, pretty good. Uh, in kick return efficiency... We are 127th out of 130 teams, Oh, which is wow. basically saying we don't have any kick returns. We have not had a single kick return, I feel like, this year. Um, really, actually, a few amount of raw kick returns that weren't touchbacks. Um, if I'm, if I'm yeah. thinking about it, I don't have the exact number in front of me, uh, but probably less than 10 true kickoffs this season. Uh, and when we are returning kicks, they're not going for very far. Uh, that's kind of in general, though. College football is moving the kick kickoff mark farther and farther so that's not as troubling as this next one which is punts we are 114th in punt efficiency so 114th in the country about pinning our opponent back farther and farther in terms of field position and then 78th in punt return efficiency so we are uh, a well below average punt return team in and then to really cap it all off uh, we are the number one team in opposing extra point efficiency there's every every extra point against the huskies this season has been successful (laughs) um to really put the icing on the cake wow uh hey i have those kickoff totals by the way there we go yeah uh 13 total kickoffs this year okay guess how many our opponent has had uh, returns guess how many our opponent has had uh 42 wow it was 40 no Damn. <laughs> yeah, that's absurd, though. 13 kickoffs. We basically are averaging slightly over one return per game. Mm-hmm. And how many times do we actually receive the ball? Like probably at least we well, receive it at least once, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, you know, f- probably four to five times. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have as much of a problem with that because you can opt into a, a touchback, um, which gives you the ball True. at the 25, which is like perfectly yeah. reasonable field position. Mm-hmm. And given all the safety issues involved with kickoffs anyways, it's it's kind of becoming a more and more fruitless ex- exercise to actually kick the ball off. So that one doesn't bother mm-hmm. me as, as much, although 127th is still not great uh, for when you do kick the ball or you know return kicks, you would like to get more mm-hmm. than you're getting. Um, but it's, you know, the rest of it is just so... 
nothing about those numbers scream elite. And I think that, you know, nope. for special teams coming down to just details and coaching and uh, the type of, you know, systems that you run, uh, it's just, it's just icky. Like, like even, even on, in the Apple cup, uh, Wazoo's first touchdown was set up by a long kick return. Uh, we almost gave them the, another touchdown before Byron Murphy had his interception uh, on a fumbled kick, kickoff return uh, by Max Richmond as the up man there. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just not good. And to to put this all into perspective, too, UW is sixth in the conference with this. Uh, last year, they were 23rd in the same metric, the SFEI metric. Uh, in 2016, mm-hmm. they were 26th. And in 2015, they were 11th. Uh, so we're normally, you know, a, a top 25-ish team uh, in this regard. Uh, but to see this in, you know, year five of a Chris Peterson or six of a Chris Peterson program, to have issues with special teams, uh, an area of the field that he really, you know, regards highly, is just kind of weird. Yeah. Well, think about what you're what you're coming off of. You had Dante Pettis last season, for sure, which you know set records in that department. And then you had John Ross the season before, which was we we all know who he was. You know, mm-hmm. human joystick 2.0. Um, <clears throat> so it is kind of crazy, yeah, to see such a drop off so quickly. Um, I will correct myself uh, again here because I'm apparently <laughs> drinking that eggnog that you were drinking on Friday. But, Careful. Uh, yeah, ESPN actually ranks special teams efficiency, puts us at 98th, not 58th. So Whew. much worse than the one that you uh, opened up with. So Yuck. yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not good, man. And and uh, you know, I I get from a return perspective, you just don't want to have turnovers, and like even if you fair catch everything, not having turnovers is still the 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 you know paramount objective of a, a return sure. unit. Uh, but the fact that we're just handing over field position to other teams uh, in the kickoffs and punt re- re- punt games uh, is the most troubling part for me. So. Um, that's, that's disappointing and, and kind of leads into, uh, the, uh, the actual opponent for the Pac-12 championship, which is what we are going to talk about next, uh, in Utah and, uh, Utah last time the Huskies played, it was in September. Uh, UW won that game 21 to seven, uh, pretty ironic. Last time we were talking about that, uh, or that Utah game, I, my apartment was so hot and I was sweating as I was doing the podcast. Now I'm wearing sweats, (laughs) uh, moccasins and a hoodie, uh, doing this podcast, uh, but that just shows you how long the season is. Uh, Pac-12 yep. Championship Friday nights. Um, we can talk about how awful it is that it's on a Friday night instead of any time during the day on Saturday. Uh, later in this podcast, uh, but what are, what's your initial reaction with with Utah? I mean, just just you know, closing your eyes and thinking about your anxiety level heading into this game. Uh, where are you at with this? Um. Well, Utah has always presented an issue for us uh, since, you know, over the past few years. Um, what we do have working in our favor here is that their starting quarterback and starting running back are out for the season. So you're not looking at their best players in those two key positions. But with that said, uh, they're a really well-coached team. I mean, Kyle Whittingham has proven himself year after year. Um even though he had that one little time management mix up uh, last season uh, that we like to bring up now and again. But yes, uh, I'm feeling good about Friday, but I'm not like writing it off. Obviously, yeah. you know, it's going to be a game They're They're good. They match up well against us and they're a tough opponent. They're going to play through the final whistle. 
So um, yeah, let's just let's just go get it done and not even really leave any question of a doubt. Yeah, uh, you you hit on the a couple points there. Uh, one that their starting quarterback and running back who played in the in the game in September uh, will not be playing in this game. Tyler Huntley, their quarterback, uh, broke his your call. boy, my my boy. I I still like Tyler Huntley. Uh, Tyler Huntley is gonna like be the quarterback of the Jaguars <laughs> next year. Just, just watch. Uh, and, and he'll, or he'll be holding for Tristan Vizcaino or something like that. Oh, my. <laughs> some weird twist of fate. Uh, but yeah, Huntley, uh, is out. Uh, Jason Shelley, uh, is their backup quarterback. Um, Jason Shelley is on, is a, is it interesting? He's the, uh, a legacy of UW. His dad, Jason Shelley senior played for the 93 Rose Bowl team. Uh, but really? didn't, didn't play after that because of, uh, legal issues, but that's, uh, neither here nor there. So Jason Shelley, uh, the, the, the junior product, uh, is from Texas. Uh, he is, uh, Tyler Huntley was a, a running quarterback. Shelley is much the same. Shelley might even be a better running quarterback. Um, and uh, you know, there's this kind of talk of like, has he opened up this new dimension for, for Utah? I think that the quarterback situation is pretty much a wash from what it was from Huntley to Shelley. Uh, Hunt, Shelley might be a little, uh, a little more of a risk taker downfield, uh, whereas Huntley might not have, have gone for that as much. Um, so we'll see Zach Moss, the running back, uh, that was, that was playing for Utah in that game, a uh, thousand yard runner for, for them had an ankle injury. He is out for the season. Armand shine is the backup there. Uh, he's uh, a similar running back to Moss, just a little less stocky. So maybe a little more uh, speedy. Uh, the real problem there is that uh, with Armand Shine playing instead of Zach Moss, uh, that lowers our chances of hearing Sonoris Moss's name mentioned on the broadcast because Zach Moss was uh, uh, their cousin, the Santana and Sonoris Moss uh, duo. So I'm, I like I'm, how I'm you mentioned Sonoris Moss over Santana. You know why I did that is because like, that's exactly what the broadcasters in the Utah game in September did. Is they they were like, oh yeah, he's uh, he's cousins with the Moss brothers, Sonoris and Santana. As if anyone remembers Sonoris <laughs> Moss before they remember Santana. Over Santana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's a little little well trivia there. Uh, so yeah, wh- wh- what do you like? I don't know. With with me, the offense for Utah, uh, you know, in the, in that game in in September, um, I feel like it was predicated on Huntley running and cracking open, like extending drives for them, and we were allowing him to do that because we weren't spying him very well. Uh, and I feel like that just doesn't change. So I, I I don't think think that those two factors matter very much at all for for the UW versus Utah matchup. Yeah, um, yeah, I think. Like you said, I think it's I think both of those players are it's not a huge drop off. Um, so nothing to kind of sit back and relax on our side. Mm-hmm. Um, one person who you didn't mention is Britton Covey. Uh, first of all, do we know if he's still around? Is he still alive after the game that we played earlier? I was, this year I was going to ask if, if Britton Covey has PTSD from from that September game. Uh, he had yeah. at least the wind knocked out of him two different times, if not a at bro- least. broken rib, <laughs> uh, potentially a concussion. Uh, yeah. it, Britton Covey was just getting manhandled by the UW team. Um, he, he is he is there. The Mormon Wes Welker, uh, kind of a guy that's all over the field. Uh, <laughs> they like to throw him swing passes, reverses, uh, have him throw the ball a little bit. Uh, Covey was 
absolutely buried, uh, even though I think he did play pretty well. But that's actually what I was leading into with this is that Covey had two like 20 plus yard punt returns uh, in that Utah game in September, um, which is, you know, just one example of UW's punt team not being very good at uh, at uh, just pinning teams. So I hope that um, that the offense is as simple as what we saw uh, in September and that UW's defense can handle it. Uh, but Covey is pretty much the one thing that can kind of break this game open. Uh, but I, I, I really just don't see it. And I'm trying to be as uh, open about this as possible, but us beating them by 14 points in a game where Jake Browning made one of the most indefensible throws that has ever, ever yep. happened on planet earth uh, yep. in that game. Uh, Jake Brown, that was the last spin of Jake Browning's season that is out of his game. He was completely rattled after that. Um, and was up 14 points at that point. Uh, that that was the game too, if you remember, where we got deep into the Utah territory and then threw like three straight screens that went from you know first and ten to like fourth and thirty. Uh, it was yeah. it was just not a great game for for Browning for Bush Hamden, and we still won that game by 14 points in Salt Lake City in a blackout game. Um, I I just my level of confidence is pretty high that uh, UW can handle this one fairly easily on Friday. Yeah. I mean, that was a complete grinded out type of win. And I mean, honestly, that's kind of the games you have to play with Utah, just the way that they, they kind of approach games and will control things. But uh, just re- just touching on Britton Covey one last time. Um, it is interesting since Huntley has gone down over the last four games that Shelley has played in uh, Covey has put up one catch for four yards uh, one catch for 19 yards. Uh, let's see here. Four catches for nine yards, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> and did I miss one there? Four catches and nine yards. Um, it's all, it's, oh, three for 29. I missed one there. So he hasn't gone over 30 yards in any of his last four games. And yeah. he's been under 10 yards in a couple. So um, he may not be as much of a factor as we think he will, but yeah. I mean, you never know. And that goes hand in hand with, with Shelly kind of uh, being a little bit more vertical, uh, you know, less less accurate underneath, but will, more willing to stretch the field. So we'll see, uh, given, you know, other teams that have tried to stretch the field on, on UW on that defensive secondary, mm-hmm. it hasn't worked out quite well for them. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, this will be his first game against that t- against the UW defense as well. Uh, two two side bets here about this game. Uh, Britton Covey mm-hmm. yards per catch under six <laughs> in in the wow. in the Husky game. What do you think about that? I mm-hmm. totally just made that up. That's not a Las Vegas thing. Oh, uh, wait, wait, yards per catch. Yards per under catch six under six. Uh, I would take that. Like I would, I would bet it's under six. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just have a feeling that it's going to be that type of thing where either he only catches yeah. a couple of screens and they immediately get buried or, uh, uh, or it's just a lot of either way. I, I just don't see him getting involved uh, very well. And I don't think he wants to after, after what happened to him against UW. And then the other one would be over under uh, one half. So either will there be a targeting or will there not be a targeting? Uh, there has been in each of the last uh, two Utah yeah. UW games. Uh, there were two of them on the Utah side last time in September. Uh, Lecky Fotu right. and Marquise Blair were both ejected uh, during that game for for targeting. Uh, what do you think? Will there be a targeting call in this game? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is hard-nosed football, Utah and UW. Um, it's, it's almost bound to happen, and, and unfortunately. So, yeah, I'm going to say over. 
Yeah, the real yeah. question is, will Marquise Blair uh, scream at the referees for 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 what <laughs> happens to him um, if 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 and when that does happen? So uh, we'll see. Yeah. I uh, I've I've made this pretty clear that uh, I I fully expect us to win uh, and and cover uh, the five point spread there. Um, but yeah. uh, I I just hope I'm not wrong because there's 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 a lot riding on that. Uh, and I just think that this this season is still very much salvageable and and able to hit uh, our expectations before the season, uh, but uh, requires us to get it done Friday. My strategy is uh, after this. Obviously, I had to do a little prep for this, but after this, I'm going to try and not think about the game as as much as possible over the next couple of days. How healthy, man! That's awesome. I, yeah, I just you know, it's just gonna it's it's gonna affect me negatively if I just you know brood over it. So I'm just gonna just gonna try and avoid it. Yeah. Will that be possible? Probably not, but yeah, you know, we'll try. Yeah. Uh, another hard thing to not think about is the uh, the uh, Rose Bowl, which is what's on the line for the winner oh, yeah. of Friday night's game. Uh, our one big question this week is talking about the the the, uh, the value of the Rose Bowl because I think it's kind of been watered down since we were kids, um, and and kind of how everyone held the Rose Bowl up in such high prestige, and that's kind of as college football has expanded into this uh, less of a a pageantry and more into this uh, just <laughs> psychotic war warscape that it is now. Uh, the Rose Bowl <laughs> means a whole lot less than it used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, I still think that this salvaging a, a Rose Bowl for this UW team could mean a lot. Um, and I think my question to you is kind of augmenting the the one big question is if when you and I are doing that podcast the first week of August previewing this this season, if uh, if I stop you right in the middle of that and I said, just just hear me out. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to be playing in the Pac-12 championship to go to a Rose Bowl and I say, what do you guys think? And then I just leave. And then like that version of me is somehow different from the current version of me. How would we feel if that happened? And, and you know, we're just poised with that question at that point of uh, win the Pac-12 championship to go to the Rose Bowl. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, at the time, that's kind of what we expected, though. No. So in yeah. some cases, well, I guess we might have expected going to the playoff. But deep down, uh, I almost I mean. Here's the thing about the playoff, not to get sidetracked. As a UW team, you're probably only going to get into the playoff as a four seed, no matter what. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it's just what what it is. You know, we're up here in the corner of the country in a in a conference that's down. So you're going to be the four seed if you make it in, and you're going to play Alabama. We've seen how that's gone. So deep down, <clears throat> I was I was kind of pulling for that for the Rose Bowl over any type of playoff bid, as great as it would be. Uh, I know that's pretty selfish of me, but um, so the fact that we're sitting here now on the precipice of potentially that is incredibly exciting. Um, you know that that uh, what I think about the Rose Bowl, it is it is basically mecca for me. Uh, I the, practice the, the religion of college the, football, the granddaddy of them all. It's the granddaddy of them all. I actually have uh, some some background info on the Rose Bowl, if you don't mind me uh, running through it here. Give it's me. pretty interesting. All right. Uh, this is straight off of Wikipedia, so uh, really dug deep for this. But uh, the first Rose Bowl was played in 1902, and it was actually named the Tournament East-West Football Game, uh, which was played between Michigan and Stanford. But Michigan won so handily, 49 nothing, that they decided – um, the, well, I should say the Rose Bowl started because it was 
uh, to fund the the reason was to fund the cost of the actual Rose Parade itself. Um, but that first football game in 1902 was so lopsided that for the next 14 years, they didn't have a football game and decided to run chariot races, ostrich races, and other various events. What? This is per Wikipedia, so it's bulletproof. Um, Wait, it then re- returned, re- rewind, yeah. rewind that. So they stopped having the football game so that they could have ostrich races? Yeah, they started in 1902, played one edition under the name of the Tournament East-West Football Game. So it wasn't (laughs) even called the Rose Bowl. And then it was such a lopsided game that they decided that for the next over the next 14 years, they just ended up not doing football and ended up doing chariot races, ostrich races and other various events. Oh, my God. Imagine imagine a world where a football game, a college football game couldn't pay for a parade. (laughs) <laughs> and so instead, <laughs> how do you fund it? Ostriches. Ostrich races. <laughs> wow. It's pretty awesome. I would love to see an ostrich race, to be honest, but that is not, over, not over the Rose Bowl. Yeah, but uh, it did return, thank God, in 1916, where the State College of Washington, now known as Washington State University, mm-hmm. beat Brown in the first edition of the actual Rose Bowl. Um so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, the Rose Bowl, that is, there's nothing, there's no bowl game around that carries the same prestige and grandeur like the Rose Bowl. Um, it literally started the tradition of New Year's Day bowl games, which is the best game day of the year, possibly. Um, so this would, if we were to win on Friday, I might be you might hear about like me being naked in the middle of fourth Ave in <laughs> Seattle or something, because this is something I've been waiting for my entire life because I wasn't able to go and in 2001. So um, you sure as hell can bet I will be down there if we're lucky enough to play yeah. on January there. I uh, I will set up a Google alert immediately for Michael Stanton naked and uh, hope that it only supplies that situation that you just that you just uh, described and that's not other <laughs> weird stuff. Uh, but uh, that is amazing. I'm still dying about this thought of yeah. of saying that football didn't work. Let's try ostriches. Um, that's <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to say anything coherent after this. Uh, a couple of questions about this Pac-12 championship <laughs> game. So yeah. how how it works every every time that there's roses involved uh, or that one team is is capable of going to the Rose Bowl is that uh, somehow right after the game players have roses in their mouth right that yeah. this just happens there will most definitely be that at the case in santa clara on friday uh because whether mm-hmm. UW wins or utah wins the winner is going to the rose bowl so my question to you is does the pac-12 supply the roses are the roses already there or are the roses kept uh by the teams similar to you know a champagne situation uh at a a uh you know a, a team that's clinching the playoffs or something like that um mm-hmm. And then if that is the case, that someone on the team, on the UW team, say, has to bring the roses and just say it was one of those things that no one's really going to talk about, but someone's just going to sneak some roses into their backpack. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who on this team is that culprit, do you think? You know, I think it's probably just such hallowed ground and so magical there that they just sprout up out of the out of the grass upon the final whistle. But uh, we'll have to look into that a bit more. Larry, um, Larry Scott running an ostrich across across uh, <laughs> the field to provide the roses. 
I'm, I will be okay with Larry Scott if he was to do that. Um, speaking of that, though, I have actually thought about this personally, about getting roses at Pike Place somehow um, oh. on Friday. But then I was like, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that and jinx it that badly. So I have I have nixed that whole idea. But that same thought did cross my mind earlier this week. Imagine considering that conversation with a florist of like, oh, who are these for? Some special, special someone? You're like, uh, no, these are just for me to silently celebrate for, while I'm naked on 4th Ave. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, these are for everybody in Buckley's, the, the dive sports, the sports dive bar a couple blocks from my place. <laughs> Hell yeah. I really just want to see, uh, obviously, UW win. Uh, but afterwards, I wanted to see Greg Gaines just eat an entire rose with thorns on it, just consume it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's just putting them in their mouths. And then you look over and Greg Gaines has completely chomped his down. <laughs> that's oh my that's what I want. Uh, I love Greg Gaines. You don't want an ostrich? You want that instead? <laughs> One of the two. One of the two. Either or. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, real quick, uh, beyond the the uh, you know what we're playing for, which is the the uh, the Rose Bowl. Above that, there is uh, some bigger things going on in the college football playoff scene. Uh, this weekend is championship weekend. We have uh, Bama and Georgia playing on Saturday, uh, and for the SEC championship because the SEC knows what it's doing. Uh, Clemson plays Pitt, but I don't think anyone actually knows that. I think everyone's just p- penciling Clemson in uh, to destroy yep. Pitt because they they will. Uh, Notre Dame is almost certainly in the playoff. Uh, in fact, they are going to be yeah. in the playoff undefeated. They are having, going to be. Having beat USC last week. Uh, and then the other two, there's there's kind of three teams that can that can realistically get that fourth spot, one of which is Georgia. If Georgia is able to beat Bama, they will undoubtedly be in the playoff. Uh, Oklahoma plays Texas, and then Ohio State plays Northwestern. I think uh, with, with Oklahoma being the fifth team right now, uh, and playing a higher quality opponent than Ohio State is. Ohio State would, there's no way that Ohio State could jump Oklahoma. So they need, yep. uh, if, if both teams won. So Ohio State needs Oklahoma to lose and Georgia to lose. Um, because I think that uh, we live in a world where if Bama loses to Georgia, they're still getting into the playoff. Uh, yeah. Yep. My, my question is for that last spot, assuming that Bama is in no matter what, Clemson's in no matter what, well, Clemson's mm-hmm. in when they beat Pitt by. 60 uh and then notre dame is in who would you like to have as as that dream fourth team uh in the playoffs oklahoma georgia or ohio state who would i like to have or who should have it both different okay um well i don't even know if i really care (laughs) about who i would want to be in there who should be in there um assuming alabama wins and oklahoma wins um, it would be Oklahoma for the reason alone that they're they have one loss and they would be beating a better team in uh, Texas instead of Ohio State over Northwestern. Now, if Alabama were to lose, like you said, uh, they would still stay in the top four. And so would Georgia. And the top four would basically remain the same, assuming Clemson uh, wins as well. So I really don't see a scenario that. um Ohio State makes it in unless uh, Oklahoma, basically if Oklahoma loses and Georgia loses. That's the only way. If yeah. one of those teams wins, then then Ohio State is not making it in. So there's a very good chance that the 
that the Buckeyes will be representing the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl, assuming that they knock off Northwestern. Which brings me to a question. Mm-hmm. If Northwestern were to win, do they automatically go to the Rose Bowl, or would it be like a Michigan? I th- it would be Northwestern, right? Because they're winning the conference. Big Ten, yeah. I think that they— Technically. I think—I was talking to, to some buddies about this, and I think that the Big Ten can still choose— because it's not. Because you would probably want Michigan. You would definitely want Michigan rather than Northwestern to, yeah, to represent like, you. But at the same time, Northwestern would be, you the know, Big the champion, champion technically. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Northwestern. I think I, I could be. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, I think it would be, and then they'd put Michigan in a in a New Year's Six game in a different way, and Ohio, yeah. Ohio State would be in the Capital One Bowl or something like that. Yeah, because like uh, if Utah, let's say, uh, yeah, if Utah wins, it's not like they're going to. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the Cougs are going to go in their place. So it's got to be Northwestern. Yeah, I would think so, too. But if they were to win. But I I, I doubt that's going to happen. Yeah, I hope that we don't have to get to that that uh, that question because that could get ugly. Um, yeah. Seeing seeing Northwestern there, but uh, go Cats! I don't know uh, why not. Uh, yeah, I, why not? I, I would no, like to see Oklahoma in there because I, I'm ready for uh, more exposure for Lincoln Riley to get him uh, to an NFL job because his his play calling is amazing and and Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. uh, the Oklahoma quarterback, I think is the type of player uh, that could beat. Bama, uh, just in terms of a, a game-breaking type player, uh, like Deshaun sure. Watson did a couple years ago. Um, however, that Georgia team is is pretty nasty too. So uh, I, I I think Oklahoma and Georgia are our best best hopes for bringing down to the Death Star. Um, which so I hope that it's <laughs> one of those two teams that that uh, gets that fourth playoff spot. Uh, but uh, you know, let's let's just wait till Saturday afternoon to to figure that out. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's end this as we always do, talking about. Uh, our great cats of the week, and uh, then then our kind of mm. guy. What, what do you have for for a great cat? There's a there's there's one obvious one every week. Yeah, uh, Commissioner Larry Scott has just uh, mm. <sighs> John Canzano of of um, of uh, I don't know what the the paper Oregonian I think. There you go. Yeah, the Oregonian has uh, published his second part of a part of a four part series exposing the the Pac-12's just utter incompetence at the top. Um, and Larry Scott's uh, propensity for, uh, you know, private jets and expensive offices, all of which yep. running his program at a deficit, um, all of which, um, you know, as the the quality on the field in both football and on the court in basketball uh, is suffering against the rest of the country. He doesn't seem too concerned about that because, uh, hey, the Pac-12 network, we own our own uh, our own cable network stand. Did you know that? Uh, barely. (laughs) It's so important. Uh, and that's, that's basically what, uh, he continues to hoist up and it's, uh, it's just such a bad look in, in big time college football, which if you're the commissioner of PAC of the PAC 12, you are in, uh, for him to be so unconcerned with how his product is performing, um, just sucks. Yeah, it's. I could I could speak at length about this, so I'll save everybody the time. But uh, this I feel like all he cares about is the money that's coming in, and he doesn't really care about the perception of the league, which no. has honestly become kind of a laughing stock from a Power Five standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, like for instance, uh, what is it? The Mountain West Conference and what was was the other one are playing prime, you know, middle of the day 
or primetime Saturday on ESPN or Fox. Yeah. Uh, big stations. Um, UCF Memphis is at 12:30 on Saturday and and we couldn't yeah. get that slot. Yeah. Now I will I will say I did read, read a John Wilner article. Uh, he's a journalist down in the Bay Area, and it is quite a difference in uh, in the past when they've played on Saturday versus Friday from a viewership standpoint. It's like in favor of Friday, but this harks back to the conversations we had last season about um, late kickoffs and and being on ESPN and exposure. And I'm still not buying that that uh, being on your own on Friday and that about that uh, larger amount of viewership is really like true viewership. I feel like that a lot of that or some of it is just like, well, it's the only thing on. So we'll put it on the corner of the bar and like, yeah, no one will watch it type thing. It's like but, frat dudes are, you know, like in bong rip number five while the game is rolling, yeah. rolling behind them. Uh, and yeah. They don't care. It's just white noise. In the ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's disappointing. I mean, uh, I I don't know the specifics about what conferences were ahead, but basically every conference's uh, big conference's uh, lowest ticket price for their conference championship game is more expensive than than ours, which is at like twenty eight dollars right now, which is just so cheap compared. Like there was Mountain Mountain West Conference had a higher uh, price of their cheapest ticket than our than Pac twelve, so. Um, terrible location to have it to being in the bay area um and you know five o'clock right in the middle of rush hour in the hardest cetera, place to travel to in the entire country probably yeah pretty much in rush hour, uh, yeah. honestly i've seen i've seen a lot of people talk about this this week but uh it would be awesome if they move it to the new raider stadium in las vegas once that opens up because that's actually a destination that people want to go to yeah it's easy to get to there's not you know crazy traffic like the bay area and uh, you can make it a full trip out of it too. So uh, yeah, I would I wouldn't mind seeing that. But yeah, overall, just very disappointing uh, and multiple facets from Larry Scott. Yeah, he, that's not gonna happen. You know why? Why? It makes too much sense. It's just there's there's no, uh, yeah. there's, there's no way uh, that that uh, this administration would do anything. Um, and we will have pretty much the same deal until 2024 when our TV deal uh, expires. So. Uh, it's all bad with Larry Scott. I encourage you all to to read that series and continue to read as the uh, more pieces of it come out, uh, just to expose how how uh, how poorly we are treated uh, by our own administration um, in the Pac-12. Uh, another great cat for me, at least, uh, we can get to, to anything that you have, is everyone that was involved with the Ben burke Irvin situation late in that game on Friday. Uh, obviously, you know, people who know me know my line oh, of yeah. work. Uh, it's something that I am looking out for a little more keenly than, than maybe others, but basically Ben Burkirvin goes for a tackle, uh, hits his head, uh, hits his, his helmet, helmet to helmet with, uh, with Ryan Bowman, um, and an incidental contact, uh, BBK goes right down to the ground is on the ground. Uh, we couldn't actually see it, but Brady Quinn says that he tried to get up and then stumbled afterwards. Listen, head impact, stumbling, staying on the ground, loss of consciousness, whatever he had, is a sign of a concussion and should be treated as such. Instead, Ben Burkirvin misses one play, right, which is an impossible amount of time for them to determine that he didn't have a concussion. It takes at least mm-hmm. 10 minutes, if we're being honest, probably less. Uh, and then for him to be back in one play uh, is a joke. 
and I'm, there's just a lot involved there, right? There's no NCAA strict concussion protocol. There's no Pac-12 concussion protocol. It's up to the schools themselves to do that. Uh, it's tough. I get it's snow, um, and you know, you you a lot of different moving parts there. But the standard of medical care, especially in a game that was in hand, it's got to be better than that. Yeah, I was pretty surprised to see that, too. I thought for sure he was done for the day. And then seeing him literally two plays later made no sense to me. Um, so, yeah, that was that was unfortunate to see. So completely agree on that front. You would you would expect you would expect us to have that sorted out a bit better than we did. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 but. it's nobody. It's no one person's problem. It's not like the you know, the training staff you know, one specific member mm-hmm. on that, or, you know, it's Chris Peterson. He's got to do that. Chris Peterson's worrying about a lot of other things. Um, you know, yep. although he, sh- he could, could very easily have made the call there, having seen Ben Burkirvan on the ground after that, that, you know, one sure. play is probably not enough uh, of time or for him to get evaluated. Uh, you know, whoever's making personnel calls in the defense, defense, everyone involved, right. That, that other mm-hmm. players can just be like, dude, Ben, get, why, why, why would you go back in there? Um, there's just no reason for him to risk that, especially because it impacts whether he could play this week. If, if, you know, he was diagnosed with a concussion, uh, he wasn't, but that's beside the point. It's all about, you know, the Mm -hmm. procedures you have in place to, uh, to, uh, to handle that sort of thing. But I'll get off my high horse and uh, concede to you, uh, or my high ostrich. I'm sorry. Uh, oh yeah. (laughs) Concede to you. (laughs) Any other, uh, any other great cats for this week? I'm just going to reiterate Mike Leach here just because Mm. of the, uh, you know, insanity comment about doing the same thing over and over again. So I feel like he he earned that. um, But I think Larry Scott takes the cake for me this week. Yeah, it it might be time to call it the Larry Scott Memorial Award for the uh, the biggest dope of the week. Um, yeah. uh, Speaking of, speaking of renaming though, I think we should probably rename the OKG of the week award to the miles Gaskin (laughs) award, because that is easily who my OKG of the week is. Yeah. And I don't really need to say anything else than that because we all know what he did. He, uh, he has shown his value this year, both by, by playing and then also by not playing. I mean, I think, uh, the, the two losses in conference, he, we we win if we have Miles Gaskin in that game against Cal, uh, and we probably are much more equipped to pull that game out uh, against Oregon when he left late in the fourth quarter uh, with his injury in that game. So uh, yeah, Gaskin was just absolutely huge, and and having him in the offense is just night and day. I've got a couple here. First of all, Brady okay. Quinn, uh, color commentator for oh. for Fox. Uh, seven and zero in games that he has called for UW. Uh, wow, might be eight and zero by Friday, which is pretty cool. A uh, couple more, uh, both uh, receiving targets. Of, yeah, exactly. Uh, receiving targets for UW. Andre Bacellia, he's good. He's he's just like I. He has no touchdowns this year, but I have just loved watching him. Um, really burst on the scene, take over that slot receiver role for Chico McClatcher. Mm-hmm. Um, had a nice 58-yard uh, post post route for the connected with Jake Brown or Jake Browning connected with him on. Uh, looked really pretty. Got involved in the screen game. I really like what what he's done for the dogs this year. And you'll be welcoming him into your family after the season ends, correct? Yes, so. yes. The paperwork, uh, you know, a lot of hitches. It's hard to get. Uh, those guys to uh, to really sit down, but uh, you know we're thinking in between the <laughs> Pac-12 championship and the bowl game should be a good time for us to really sit down, talk with our lawyers, 
uh, and go from there mm-hmm. about uh, adopting uh, Ty, Andre, and uh, and Aaron into the family. Uh, and also, and remember, adult adoption is is a thing. It is a real thing, uh, as we went we've, over. We've covered that already. In yeah. truly painstaking <laughs> detail uh, earlier this year. I encourage you to go back. I don't even remember what, what episode that was. Uh, that was probably like the, the North Dakota week or something. Um, but uh, the other OKG, welcome back, Hunter Bryant. I forgot how yeah. tantalizing you were. Uh, there was a third and, what, 16 early in that game. Uh, it was a beautiful... Uh, move from Jake Browning to step up into the pocket or, you know, it, uh, you know, and, and deliver this throw to a crossing Hunter Bryant who just took it and sprinted across, like he was faster than every single Wazoo defensive defensive back after that uh, was only stopped really by the sideline. Um, and then had a couple had the touchdown catch from Aaron Fuller and a nice other catch uh, on the sideline on play action early in the game. He is so fun. Yeah, it's going to be even more fun, I think, next season when you got someone like Skinny Eason zipping the ball to him uh, as well. So uh, this is just beginning for Hunter Bryant, I think. Um, I think he'll be able to – will he be able to redshirt this season or did did he burn that? He Uh, is about to play in game four of the season on Friday. So I think they managed that so poorly, personally. He didn't need to play in that Oregon State game at all. No, he really didn't. And I think that that was probably... You could save a full season. That was probably to get him in a rhythm. And I think that they are thinking, this guy is so good, he's leaving after next season no matter what. Yeah. Whether he's a sophomore redshirt or a uh, junior. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, that's fair. Either way, you just got me super excited about the idea of Jacob Eason throwing to (laughs) Hunter Bryant, uh, Kate Otten, uh, or, uh, Aaron Fuller, Ty Jones, and Andre Bocellia with Savon Ahmed in the backfield. Oh, baby, that just sounds <laughs> that sounds fun, especially with a, a defense that's going to give up a few more points uh, next year. Could be could be real exciting. But that's uh, that's for a few podcasts from now. We've got some work to do with this team. Mm-hmm. Agreed. S- sounds good. All right. Well, uh, delete this game. Worrying about this game from your memory. Uh, get your roses mm-hmm. ready. Uh, should be fun on Friday. Let's do this, huh? How about I would it? love to be able to go back down to uh, I was I was in Pasadena earlier this season and I would love to take a second trip down and get a little rosy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's do it, man. I'm, I'm ready. It's uh, it's been a long season, a lot of ups and downs, but uh, I think uh, some good stuff can happen if we if we pull it out on Friday. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening. 